Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ruminations of Red Room. I'm your host, Kyle, with a K. Today, you're joining us at the miracle hour of 3 p.m. Today, we have with me Brendan, the new blood. How you doing? Oh, doing all right. My, my brain's a little mush. I think over the past week, I've watched... I, I, in a countless amount of short films as well as some feature films. Um, so I, uh, got all my, my reviews written for that at the pretty much at the very last minute. Uh, but that's all done. And, uh, yeah. Well, I've been, uh, just, uh, playing some games and watching some random shit. Can you talk about any of the movies that you've been covering? Uh yeah uh so uh the the two the two uh really big ones uh that I'm completely obsessed with one is called You Are Not My Mother which is a uh, like an Irish uh folk horror movie that's about changelings uh I was unfamiliar <clears throat> I know there's a movie called Changelings but I was completely unfamiliar to the the lore of of mm. all of that I don't know if you guys have seen Changelings at all I have. Wait, hold on. Is Changeling... No, not The Changeling, right? There's a difference? Uh, that's probably the one I'm talking... Whatever, it was like 70s or 80s or 90s, right? Where the guy goes to the house, like the guy buys the house or whatever, and it's like haunted? I don't know. I've never seen it. Oh, okay. It's probably the <laughs> <a different. laughs> um, But yeah, that, that was pretty solid. But the, the number one movie that, that I'm just completely obsessed with from the festival was called uh, We're All Going to the World's Fair, which is uh, basically about this uh, young girl who has some severe mental health issues. Um, and her dad is just a toxic piece of shit. Um, and so she's like, uh, she kind of like... Adding issues. She's... <laughs> she's a, a content creator uh she doesn't get that many views um but she's just starting out so there's you guys remember like the whole charlie charlie thing or like those dumb internet challenges um mm -hmm. so she aware. charlie charlie was that gimmick that they came up with for the movie the gallows where you like put two pencils on a piece of paper perpendicular to each other and you ask charlie charlie questions and it was just a big publicity stunt for the gallows um but so, so i think i saw yeah. that movie and i don't remember um yeah i don't i don't think it's actually even in the movie i think it was just a gimmick that they oh. used to promote the movie um <clears throat> but yeah so this girl does this internet challenge called the world's fair which pretty much boasts uh that it's going to physically and mentally turn you into a completely different person um and it is just uh, it's one of the most interesting psychological horror movies i've ever seen um and uh there's some really fantastic moments of body horror uh it it does a really good job of of talking about the duality between mental health uh issues that as well as internet culture and internet life um mm. so i i highly recommend it i there were there were a few issues with it but i i think i once i can put my letterboxd review up i think i'm going to give it a four four and a half stars so four four and a half heart or no heart a heart yeah definitely we got a heart guys we got a heart out of it we, we got a heart <laughs> 
that's cool. Okay. Oh, and also, also I've been playing. Uh, hold on, hold today. on, hold on, oh. hold on. <laughs> Strike one. We've gone too long without letting the baby boy Ian join the cast. So Ian, no, it's with fun. Two E's. What's up? I am currently sitting in my closet right now. It is a five feet by four feet closet, and I'm getting real Harry Potter vibes right now. Yeah, you sound like shit. I'm gonna lie. Really? (laughs) Yeah, you sound worse. Are you kidding me? I came in here to sound better. All right, I'm going back outside then. Because I came in here because there was a dog barking. (laughs) I thought you would hear the dog. (laughs) You sound like you've been buried alive and you're calling (laughs) from like your cell phone into the cast. (laughs) That's what you sound like right now. Well, well, I don't know how I'm going to get the chair out. I don't even know how I got it in. Uh, I guess I'll just get on my knees. <laughs> so I'm used to, you know what I'm saying? Um, just Indian style it. Yeah. yeah so Ian, how you doing? Um, I'm doing good. Kyle. Aside from being buried alive. Um, I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. Um, been watching a lot of movies lately. I watched The Mimic. Um, I heard that's a Oscar bait. Oh, for sure. For sure. Gotcha. Um, after losing the uh, Rotten or Fresh, what is it called? Uh, who knows? Fresh or Frozen? Fresh or Frozen. Um, <laughs> after losing that, I wanted to redeem myself by looking up uh, the, the Mimic and, and watching it, but uh, it turned out to be complete garbage. And Del Toro is an absolute overrated director, in my opinion. Um, hot take, but... Uh, yeah, I just don't like most of his stuff. Hellboy, I'll give him that. It's good, good series, good solid, super uh, comic book series. Um, Blade, another solid comic book movie. Well, I think he just did Blade Two. I could be Blade wrong about that. Two, yeah, yeah, he, he did Blade Two. Um, yeah, but other than that, nah, not it, fam. <clears throat> I wonder if Guillermo del Toro has more rottens than freshes out in the world. I would wager to say yes. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, just because from the ones I've looked up, it seems to always be like on the cusp of fresh, but mostly rotten. Yeah, and okay. people love Pan's Labyrinth, and I think they like it a little less than they actually do, because they they everyone talks about the labyrinth part, which is only like twenty percent of the movie. No one ever talks about the pan. No, because <laughs> that part's boring. This like they go through like this Mexican revolution, which no one cares about. Yeah, because they're talking about Mexicans, am I right? What else? <laughs> Save yourself. Oh, I watched Ricochet last night, which was kind of an amazing movie. Have you guys seen that? No, I'm not familiar. No. With it. Oh, I was kind of banking on the fact that you guys have seen it. It is director um, Russell Mulcahy. That's the one with Ice Cube in it, right? It has (laughs) iced tea. (laughs) It has iced tea. And even like throughout the entire movie, I knew who it was. I knew it was iced tea, but I I kept saying in my head, dude, that's Ice Cube. (laughs) I was like, dude, Ice Cube? What an app. What an actor. Uh, so yeah he's in it um a young denzel young denzel um the director highlander which is 
one of the best 80s movie of all time, in my opinion. Um, the writing team done by Stephen E. De Souza, De Souza, who is most widely known for Die Hard, Die Hard 2, Commando, Running Man, 48 Hours, Tomb Raider, Judge Dredd, just to name a few. Oh, but not Die Hard 3, the best one, and not a fan. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Those are some bangers. But he had Judge Dredd, though. That's true. That's true. true. And then the composer, which he's done all the Avengers movies, Forrest Gump, the Back to the Future movies, Lilo and Stitch, Cast Away, like almost every mainstream movie. I've heard of a couple of those. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Predator 2, most notably. But uh, yeah, it had a great team behind it, um, and it was very fun. What's it about? Very quotable movie. Um, it's about a cop, an up and coming prospect cop. I mean, yeah, it's just, I'll, I'll been, it's just a fun movie about Denzel and his uh, his desire to just be a good human, good good American citizen uh, in the government, uh, and. John Lithgow's character, who is just a psychopath trying to take him down. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. That's going to be the first Dexter reference today, but there will be another one later. As far as John Lithgow. Uh, psychopath. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trinity killer, baby. Um, I have been. Hey, Kyle. Oh, yeah. Hey, what's up, Ian? What have you been up to? Oh, thank you for asking. I appreciate it. Um. I finally finished the Max Payne trilogy, finished Max Payne 3, and it is a 10 out of 10. That game's a banger. Uh, it is a little divisive because uh, it was made by Rockstar, and Max Payne 1 and 2 were made by Remedy and Sam Lake, which it has a completely different tone. I will give them that, but it does continue his story in a respectful and faithful to the original two um, way. I I love the whole trilogy. I want them to make another one. I don't think they're going to. And as part of my plan, which I previously discussed on last episode, I did, in fact, watch the 2008 movie Max Payne starring Mark Wahlberg. And let me tell you, I brought up Oscar bait earlier. This movie makes the uh, Paul W.S. Anderson Resident (laughs) Evil movies look like Oscar bait. It's uh, they are. No, no, they're not. Um, this movie does not get Max Payne in any way. Um, it, it's it. It was literally just a copy paste of like they saw Sin City and they're like, you know what? Comic book movies are getting hot right now, especially those dark ones. Let's just make an identical Sin City, but put Max Payne's story just paste it on top of it. It made no sense with the game's lineage and like its its setting. It was bad. And I'd say the worst part about it is like the obvious uh just the continuity between scenes and or like shots is so bad. Like there's scenes where there's a table in a scene and in that same scene it like cuts to two different perspectives of somebody talking and goes back and the table's gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's noticeable and so bad that uh yeah, I couldn't give it anything higher than a one and a half. It has it has a couple cool things uh, that grants it the one and a half, but I would rather watch Colobos than watch Ooh, Max Payne. Wait, so you're telling it. me there's no um, 
disappearing table lore in Max Payne? <sighs> no, unfortunately. They well, okay. no, there's not. <laughs> but uh, aside from those two things, I did also purchase Dying Light Two, oh. and I've started that. And I've also purchased uh, oh, what's it called? Jesus, um, Kill Creek. Which is a new novel that Brendan recommended. Yes, that is so such a good book. Yeah, that has arrived, and I'm going to simultaneously play Dying Light 2 while reading Kill Creek in some free time. So those are going to be my two next things I tackle for the upcoming uh, foreseeable future. So, Kyle, I was under the understanding that you were on a mission to complete the Remedy games and not Rockstar games. Well, that is true, and technically, Alan Wake would be next after Max Payne Two because they're the next. That that's the next Remedy game made. But I had to finish out Max Payne's story. I had to do it, and like I've never, I played those games so like, um, like with so much time in between them when they originally released. I've never played them back to back. And I just wanted to get that experience, and it was really cool, so I had to do it. Hmm. So, um, yeah, that's what which I was one the, to. Which one of the games was your favorite? Probably Max Payne 1. Yeah. Even though 3 is a 10 out of 10. Yeah, for different reasons. Like, the production value in Max Payne 3 is just so high. Like, the technical aspects of that game, I'm actually really sad that you guys, specifically, with how much maybe more so Ian from what I've talked to him about are so into like action and cinematography and, and like fight choreography and stuff. There is some of the best of that in this game that I've seen in some movies. It's mm. so well written and it's so well pieced together. The set pieces are so impressive that like you literally scream, let's go. Like during some <laughs> parts of the game, like it's insane what they do with the camera work and how it like it's so so max Payne three is almost done in like a one shot aspect where the camera does not break at all between cutscene to to gameplay unless it's changing chapters and like the in and out of that is just done so well and so beautifully it's a great game and it's well written some of the dialogue is just so perfect but we're not talking about max Payne. we're not talking Dang, about max i wish we were <laughs> it's like a dope movie or, uh, we, uh, <laughs> no, not the movie. <laughs> <Race Series. laughs> but uh, today we are talking about a 2005 film. So, Mitch, if you could hit that time machine for me, real quick. I don't think we've done 2005. I don't think we've such a weird year. either. I think we've bounced in between it, but I know we've we've done 2006. Uh, so the highest grossing movies of 2005. We'll just do the top five. Wedding Crashers at number five with $209 million. I know you're a Vince Vaughn fan. Brendan, have you seen it? Uh, what Do was you the like movie? it? Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm talking about <laughs> Wedding Crashers. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, I have seen that. Also, I directed a stage version of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Fun fact. Oh, I thought you were going to say a stage version. <laughs> I was like, I would pay to see that, actually. I would, too. I would pay to see that. And then number four was, in fact, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe <laughs> at $209 million. I saw them in theaters. I did, too. Never saw the other two. There's two, right? Or three? Yeah, probably. Yeah. 
No one knows. N- number three is War of the Worlds at two hundred and thirty-four million. Uh, probably seen. the best Tom Cruise movie in my. No, I'm just kidding. It sucks. Oh, um, it's all right. Yeah, it's I, heard all right. It's, I heard it's decent. It's all right. Yeah, it's all right. Isn't that a who directed that? Ah, uh, that's a great question. Steven Spielberg. Is it Steven Spielberg? No, is it? I'm, I think. Or at, or at the very least, it was a Spielberg like, production. Yeah, like pre- or Steven Spielberg presents kind of thing. Not sure. You can look it up right now, though. Number two was Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, which has uh, Mid- Yeah Boy from the Lighthouse and the upcoming Batman. I forgot his name. No. And <laughs> number one. As to Robert which character Pattinson. I'm talking about, yeah, Robert I mean, Pattinson. William Defoe. <laughs> uh, number one is Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, which is the best of the prequels in my. But we've talked. About. And then we have the top five highest-grossing horror movies of that year. Number five is White Noise, which I think was with Michael Keaton. Yeah. Okay. Number four was the Amityville Horror. Was that the number one with three? Oh, that's the best. That was that was the one with the log scene. I think it's also the one I've only seen, or the only one I've seen. Yeah, with his like shirt off, he's looking super sexy. It has Ryan Reynolds, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that was a, around his Blade Trinity days, so he was just like jacked and hairy. Hell yeah! <laughs> like number th- Hugh Jackman, <laughs> like Hugh Jackman. Number three was The Exorcism of Emily Rose. So it didn't make the top I've three. I've heard of it. Number two is The Ring 2. And number one is Saw 2. Number one is Saw 2. Mm-hmm. 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 Deserving. Some other uh, 2005 horror movies that year. The Descent came out that year. Hell yeah. Land we, of the can Dead. Can we talk about how dope the cover is for The Descent? Yeah, let's talk yeah, about it. It's one of the best movies. It's amazing. Yeah, no, the movie's it, great. But like, the, the cover just like is the it's the one it's the five girls in the like shape of a skull right mm. yeah yeah i just think that's so i wish i liked the movie as much as ian does because i would buy that poster i think it's a pretty good movie oh no i i like the movie but it's like his favorite movie of all time oh. or like favorite oh. horror movie of all time because i would totally hang that up you should get one um and then <laughs> constantine was that year oh John Reeves. Peter Storm. He's talking about making another one and coming back. That would be awesome if he did. Hopefully, it's not a uh, that new Matrix movie. Oh god, I don't talk about it. Hostel was that year, and The Devil's Rejects. We we also got uh, Hellraiser Hellworld. If you follow was, the Hellraiser franchise, I, I was no lie. Last night I was trying to find that movie to stream somewhere because I really wanted to watch it. That's funny. Have you ever seen it? Yes, that's the one with Lance Henriksen, right? I don't know. I've never seen it. I've only yeah, seen Hellraiser it, 1. I'm pretty sure it's the, like, uh, there's a Hellraiser video game, and Lance Henriksen, who runs the company that's making the game, throws, like, a big uh, release party um, to have people, like, come to this mansion and play the game. It's it's so stupid, but it's really fun. Interesting, interesting. We have Wolf Creek. Honestly, I've never seen. And honestly, not that bad. I always got Wolf Creek mixed up with the one that you guys like. Hmm? What's that Wait, movie Wolf, that we were thinking Wolf of covering? Creek? No, the the one that they have like four or five of them that you guys love. The first oh. one. Oh, um, wrong, wrong turn. turn. Yes, yes. 
for such a long time, I got Wolf Creek and Wrong Turn mixed up. Wolf Creek is a dope movie. I'm interested. Have, it have looks cool. It's Australian. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's I have one not. of it's one of Tarantino's favorite horror movies. Damn. Oh, no. Adding that to the watch list. <clears throat> it's not like that great, but it's it's a it's a decent watch. In my opinion. Okay. Um, and then we have the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. Uh, just some notable things. Uh, so the Exorcism of Emily Rose did not make it on any of the categories, but Saw 2 won the best villain, which at that time, Jigsaw makes sense. Um, we have the Hills Have Eyes remake that won the bloodiest beatdown. Still haven't seen that movie. Creepiest kid goes to the omen, but was there a lot of creepy kids Ugh. in films that year? Or it's a weird category to have. But... I mean, I so guess you terrible. could you could consider Emily Rose as a creepy kid. It's no. true because she's yeah. not a kid. Yeah, that, yeah, she's nineteen. Yeah, um, she's illegal. But for creepiest Thanks. kids, there was like Hard Candy, Elliot Page. There was oh oh yeah, Jodel Ferlin in Blue. Silent Hill. Dude, Hard Candy, yeah. underappreciated. In my opinion, what is it about? Overrated. Ooh, Ooh. overrated. Ooh, let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that one. Um, it's about a pedophile who gets caught and tortured. Oh, okay. But not really, though. Like, I mean, <laughs> it, I mean, Kyle, if it's something that you're gonna watch, I'm not gonna go into it. But, but you can go into a little bit. Of terms. Well, I mean, it's, why do you think it's overrated? I'm just curious. Well, because everyone's like, oh, this movie's so hardcore and badass, but it's really not because nothing actually happens. Do you think it was hardcore and badass at the time? Maybe, yeah. And, and the idea of it's cool, like really cool. Like uh, a girl catches a pedophile and wants to torture him, but there's really no torture. I mean, there there's mental torture. There is. There is torture. Not really, because the the one big there thing is. that everyone talks about from that doesn't actually happen. Oh, and you you, you know what I'm talking you, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Like that's the one I thing that it did happen. No, it doesn't. No. She she makes him think that it she makes him think that it happens. She they make the filmmaker makes us think that it happens, but it doesn't. It's still good though. Happen. It's a good tension, really good tension. Yeah. Like that that thing actually happens, <laughs> right, Kyle? I'll check it out. <laughs> I'll add it to the watch list <laughs> for all my opinions. All right. So we'll we'll throw that away. Today we are covering, like I said, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, 2005. The release date was September 9th, 2005. It had a 3,045 theater widest, widest release. Excuse me. It was distributed by Screen Gems. And the budget was 19 mil. And it made yeah. 145 mil worldwide, roughly. 145 million. 145 Holy million. Wow. Really? Yeah, it made a lot of money back. There, and there's a, the there's surprising, a Greg. No. I thought that there was... I, I don't know if it's a sequel, but I remember seeing a movie that's like almost the same font. And let, like I think it's like the same style, maybe, but it, from a different... Oh, like, I, th exorcism? I think I'm, I'm thinking of the last exorcism part two. That's a oh part two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah because on the yeah, cover the, on the cover of that, there's a girl whose body is distorted 
to look like a number two. And I always, I always, uh, assumed that associated that with this film. Associated. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Do you guys think this movie made more domestically or overseas, internationally? Overseas. Probably overseas. I would have thought so too, but it didn't. It made uh, about five mil more here, but I would have thought the same thing. That was pretty close. Out of a yeah. hundred and whatever, you know? Yeah. Five I, just, I thought it would have made a lot more overseas. I don't know. It's just me. But um, I guess let's get into the movie here. Uh, first, we'll talk about where we streamed it, what we thought of it whether or not we'd add it to our collection. The first conversation talking points are going to be kind of non-spoiler. Not kind of, they are non-spoiler. And then we'll get into what we thought of the nitty-gritty of the movie. Ian, we'll start with you. Where did you stream it? And what did you think of The Exorcism of Emily Rose 2005? I streamed it on HBO Max to the max. Um, What did I think about it? Uh, usually, sorry, I'm going to give you my easy answer first and then I'm going to go on like a little bit of a tangent here, Please but, <laughs> um, didn't like it and it's paranormal slash, um, religious horror is such an easy, um, scare for me. Like throw on any, any movie about possession and it'll, it'll scare me. Like that's, it's a given, absolute given, um, growing up as a Catholic, um, having like Catholic faith. I mean, the the biggest thing in religion is faith and having to believe in God and the Bible and that Jesus did all these things like turn water into wine and walk across water and rose from the dead. So like per, um, possession is kind of like a no brainer uh, for me. Like I, I, I do believe in this stuff and I, I do believe it probably happens. Um, but this film, not it fam. Not it. Um, I think that the true story about Annalise Mikkel um, is actually way more haunting than this film. I do think that it was an interesting choice to show just the trial and then uh, like flashbacks of uh, her possession, but I just don't think it worked very well. Okay. Before we um, get into Brennan and I's thoughts, did you do any kind of research on the real exorcism? The, I did. We'll talk about that afterwards, but okay, cool. Um, Brennan, where did you stream it? Oh, and also, Ian, would you add it to your collection? I think I know the answer, but just if you want to. No. Okay. Um, Brennan, thoughts of the movie? <clears throat> where did you stream it? And would you add it to your collection? Uh, so I streamed it on HBO Max. I would not add it to my collection only for the reason that last night I found out that I actually own this movie and it's still shrink wrapped. Um, uh, I have a couple so, of yeah, Um, I think that I would, if I didn't own this movie and I found it in like a $5 bin at Walmart or something, I would, which is actually where I think that I did purchase it. Um, I, I, I would, I would go out of my way to buy it. Um, I I enjoyed it. I think that the Devil's Advocate does this better, and the Conjuring Three does this worse. Um, so I think that it's a nice middle ground. Uh, but it it was really inconsistent with the tone. It couldn't decide if it wanted to be a courtroom drama or, um, an exorcism movie. 
Uh, I thought that the the acting was was pretty solid. There were some great performances. Laura Linney absolutely nails it. The guy that does father, the guy that plays Father Moore, um, I thought that he was was uh, really good, especially during his testimony scene. I thought that that was a, a really strong moment of the film. Um, surprisingly, I do like courtroom dramas a lot, like a lot, a lot. I don't know why I do. Um, so I actually found the courtroom drama, the courtroom scenes way more engaging than the rest of the movie. Uh, but that being said, mm-hmm. I did have a nightmare about this movie last night. Um, so I guess a drunken nightmare. <laughs> I, yes, I, I guess it was somewhat effective in that sense. Also, I, I did turn all the lights what? off when I when I watched it. Um, and I for some reason i was just really terrified so i just kind of sat on my couch until about 6 30 in the morning when the sun came up <laughs> jesus yeah <laughs> he's like this might be the best horror movie ever <laughs> no no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that um but uh, I, it was this the, really hit you it was, but I, I didn't think it was like that scary of a movie, but it was, uh, I kept playing back in my head the, the tape that Father Moore plays during the, during the trial. And for some reason, like that scene just really freaked me out. Also, I started watching the movie at 3 a.m., uh, which is, I guess, kind of on the nose, right? Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> completely coincidental okay um just because i forgot to mention earlier the director of this movie is scott derrickson he directed sinister and doctor strange yes um which i was surprised i looked that up afterwards and it makes sense actually from the way the style of this movie is i could see it in uh in doctor strange specifically um oh and he's also doing that that new russell crowe movie isn't he strike two no, uh, have Thank you guys you, seen the trailer for Black Phone? <laughs> <laughs> Which one are you referring to? Is it unhinged? It's a uh, black Black Phone. Oh, oh, yeah. that's yeah. not Russell Crowe. That's uh, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, you mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good job, Brent. Thanks. I didn't know he was directing that though. That's interesting. Or, or he wrote it. One of the two. I know he's he he's attached in some way, shape, or form. I'm raising my hand. Hey, Brendan, <laughs> is it okay for me to go now? <laughs> hey, so teacher, hey, teacher, I have the answer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love you, Brendan. Um, this was enjoyable. Um, I disagree and agree on a few things that Brendan touched on. Um, I do really like uh drama courtroom stuff and that was also my favorite part of the movie the exorcism scenes was when i kind of just tuned out a little bit more the uh i thought the movie blended well together the like the courtroom stuff and the exorcism stuff it didn't ever give me the impression that it was failing on trying to be one or the other i thought it it blended pretty well in my opinion the movie was a little long and I think it could have probably been an hour and a half. But I did enjoy the movie. I was never bored. And uh, I did stream it on HBO Max. But I would not add it to my collection. Not because I didn't enjoy the film. But I just don't. 
I'm not a big religious horror guy. So there's very few, if any, religious horror movies I would really go out and purchase because I don't find them very rewatchable. And this is another movie that I don't really find rewatchable at all. This is a one and done for me. I am glad I watched it, but I will probably never go back to it again in my entire life. So, and again, it's not because I didn't enjoy the film. It's just I don't find these movies um, that interesting to go back a second time. But let's go ahead and get into spoiler territory now. First, I just want to talk about, and well, actually, before we get into that, Ian, you said you had a few kind of notes on the real possession and the real events and what took place, if you want to go over those. Yeah, um, this story is actually based on a true event that happened, um, or a true person, uh, called Annalise Mikkel. Uh, she was born September 21st, 1952, in Liebelfing, West Germany, and died from malnutrition and dehydration um, July 1st, 1976, in Klingberg, West Germany, at age 23 which um, I'm age 23, and that's kind of upsetting. Okay. Why do you think, Ian, that... <laughs> What's so funny, Brendan? <laughs> I, just, I just love how his research section ends with, I'm 23. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I just didn't know if you wanted more. Um, the, the film is, is very loosely based on this... Uh, this real life story. Um, it does have some details like um, the epilepsy, um, the psychosis uh, parts. That is, that is true. She was diagnosed with those. Um, she did. Uh, there's some scenes uh, in, in the possession parts where she's like getting on her knees and like jumping up that, that actually is recorded as well. Um, she does eat bugs at some point. Um, I mean, we all eat bugs at some point. That is not true, Kyle. <laughs> that is not true. Um, don't you eat like 10 bugs a year or something in your sleep? Isn't yeah, that what yeah, they say? Mm -hmm. Yo, I was scrolling on my phone at <laughs> night, like two years ago, and a spider just went from my forehead, across my eyes, just... Off my face. <laughs> See, if you were asleep, it would have just crawled in your mouth and you would have ate it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was terrifying though, because I was awake and it crawled on my eyes and didn't like that. Um, where was I? Uh, there is actual recording of the exorcism and um, not like video, but there is audio recording and it is way more morbid and scary than what they showed in the courtroom in the actual film. So why do you, so Ian, why do you think they changed the names, locations, dates, and times of everything rather than just making a movie about the actual incident? Uh, I don't know. I think it might've been just an easier choice. The director is American. He, he might've just had like an adapt. He just might've wanted, might have wanted to do an adaptation. Um, and I guess that's what is made. Okay. Uh, yeah. One of the, things that I found interesting between the real story and the movie is in the real story, they or the, the, the true events. Um, there's reason for her to, when she does the six names, there's reason like legitimate reason for her to, 
um, know all these different languages and to know who all these people are. Whereas in the movie, it feels kind of like uh, ham-fisted. If that, if yeah, that's I don't even know the, what names she says well, in the movie. Because like uh, the the defense or the the prosecutors like. Well, she could know French because she took uh, one semester of French, and she could also know German because she took one semester of German, and she knows Aramaic because it was a possible <laughs> elective she could have taken. I have, yeah. he's like, uh, what does he say? I have uh, the the course catalog. Yeah, yeah, but he never said that she actually took Aramaic, and it's a dead language and one of the hardest languages to learn. So I highly, I, think, I highly doubt that she could have learned how to say all this random shit in Aramaic. Yeah, but I think what his point was trying to be was like all of, all of the uh, like the pro- not the prosecutor. I'm sorry, all of the defenses examples were what if scenarios and he's like so if we're going to just keep talking about what ifs then what if she learned this what if she learned that what if she did this like i think because he was constantly fighting back with her about like almost mocking their entire stance on the whole trial so i think that was just another example of him being like okay if we're going to talk what ifs the whole time then i'll just start to bring shit up too that's fair um and he was talking to the priest at the time yeah that's true i also read that uh i'm gonna get the number off a little bit but just i'm gonna, I'm gonna ballpark the exorcisms here uh there was apparently like 90 attempts to get the exorcism completed in the true story yes and um, in this movie there was only the one also yeah. she was absolutely diagnosed in real life with those medical conditions whereas in this she stopped going to the doctor so she was never officially diagnosed so that left a lot more interpretation up for the film adaptation rather than in true life it being like almost absolute kind of determination and i'm kind of wondering if you guys think that the director did that intentionally and what i mean by that is it kind of leaves more to audiences okay so for people that are religious like like you ian it kind of adds more terror to the movie not knowing is like was it really you know the demons or was she actually just crazy because in real life she was a hundred percent you know to the medical terms she was a hundred percent diagnosed with these conditions whereas in the movie it leaves it as like well we never found out completely because she never kept going so maybe it can be the demons that are inside of her and I'm kind of thinking they just played into that more through the adaptation f- for the horror elements. That's just my point or my perspective. I think they made, I think they put that in, in the movie to make it more interesting. Yeah. But at the same time, that's a big thing to leave out. Yeah. I mean, they left out a lot of, a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm not sure as to why, but I mean, it's just a, a movie inspired by this real life story about Annalise. So. Yeah, I just wish they used the word inspired by instead of, you know, kind of based on or... I agree. It does say at the very end, after the credits, um, inspired by uh, the story of Emily Rose, which yeah, I have obviously a not her name. That. Exactly. I have a problem with that as well. That yeah. whole little paragraph to two paragraphs <laughs> they have at the end of the cat or at the end of the titles where it's just like... I also didn't like that at all. 
after the events of the thing, uh, people around the world started to realize that blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, none of these events really happened. Like, the, none of these people are real. And yeah, it's kind of weird they played in character exactly. names. Yes, exactly. That kind of bugged me. I did think it was was interesting how they kind of run the movie as one long piece of like unfaithful narration because we are mm -hmm. we're we're given uh you know in the first scene where she gets demon raped uh like we see the scene of the possession happening and then once an alternate alternative idea is brought up we're seeing her having just a complete seizure um and also the the opening shot is kind of uh of the barbed wire that has the two prongs, the two barbs mm -hmm. that uh, are dripping blood, like that That's right the title card. Yeah, so like that right there, I think might be the director saying that none of this actually happened, none none of the possession was actually real. Um, but I'm still going to present you with both cases because that that kind of feels like he's saying this is what actually transpired. She gave herself the the stigmata um yeah that so, that was my point with with leaving out like how many exorcisms it was and also not just putting in there that it was diagnosed this way like i'm almost wondering if he was trying to take a stance on a side i i would say so yeah yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you i was just, like just what you're saying is basically what i was trying to explain earlier oh yeah no yeah I, Sorry, go. I would be curious to see because there are three movie adaptations of this. Uh, one is, I mean, this is this is the first one. The second one is Requiem. Uh, it's a German film that actually won an award in 2006. And then the third one is Annalise, The Exorcist Tapes from 2011. And that movie looks like it. It, it looks like a Tubi movie, so I'm probably not going <laughs> to see that one. I was going to say, based on the title, it sounds like a movie that would be on Tubi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and yeah. Wait, and so uh, I feel like that would be the ultimate disrespect for this story. <laughs> but Requiem looks pretty promising. One of the things that I thought was interesting also about the, the real life story is that the two pastors got six months in jail, but the parents were given time served because the German court thought that they had gone through enough pain. That am I the only one that thinks that's ridiculous? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. <laughs> because also, the, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was gonna, the the parents were the ones that kept bringing the priests back to do the near one hundred exorcisms. So I think that that's unfair to say that they've gone through enough and then give the priests six months. Either give everyone <laughs> six months or say you've all gone through enough emotional pain. Do you think that in the year 2022, the verdict would have been the same? Oh, they would have all been found not guilty. Hmm? Why do you think that? Uh, I think that this would be one of those cases that would have got, would garner so much media, especially if it happened in the States. Oh my God, the, the amount of media behind this would be, abs it would be a... Uh, I was going to say it would kind of be like the Derek Chauvin trial, but that those things don't 
don't go together. Um, I just think that there would be so much media behind it, and then it would be uh, there would bring <clears throat> uh, freedom of religion into everything. I mean, hell, mm-hmm. there's there's religions that in America that don't let their kids get medicine if they're dying, but those parents are never put on trial because that's that's their religious that's their belief. Yeah. So yeah. I I I think that nowadays something like this uh would either well and also because the parents weren't pressing charges so yeah, I, I, thought, I i that definitely is something i thought it was weird he was being charged at all is that weird to say well no, you have yeah. to charge someone it, it's like it because he someone has to pay even if no one presses charges like someone has to go to but it has to be responsible for someone's death. But if Emily Rose made her own decisions yeah. to go through that, you would still have to press charges with someone? I mean, there still has to be a trial, and, like, they still have to figure out what happened. That's fair. I just... I don't know. I, I feel like that if the parents and the, you know, the person involved all made the choice to do something a certain way, I don't think an outside party should be held accountable for their decisions personally. And I thought that was, I don't know. I think in today's time, I would agree with Brendan. I don't think that he would be sentenced as guilty personally, because I think now freedom of choice is way bigger than it was at that time. And I think the outcome would be different. I was also confused by, the time served aspect because when he was um when he was found guilty they gave him up to a sentence of 10 years and then after the time served they said he was free to go so how long was this process how long was this trial i th- i think uh, i i would probably say a few months but uh didn't they say know, it was it, it was out in real time that's what and i they, thought i thought it played out in real time as well and they said it was up to 10 years yeah, and then when they took the time served into like a factor, they were like, "All right, you're free to go." And I was like, <laughs> "He's been in jail for like five days." What is... <laughs> okay, but he's got that demon. He's you know he's he's a priest. He's never gonna go back to the church. He's 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 done enough, Cal. That's fair. I guess he's been through. <laughs> hey, Ian. As far as uh, since you're our resident uh kind of disturbing expert. As far as the disturbing factor goes, what's your thoughts on like the exorcism scenes? It wasn't disturbing at, at all, in my opinion. Um, oh, it just felt so Hollywood and played out. Like I've seen it done, I've seen it done way better in, in other exorcist movies. Like how so? Like what about it seemed Hollywood? Um, I don't know. I guess it just wasn't dirty enough, wasn't real enough um, for me to believe. And also, just knowing the, the actual story, it's it's it was really hard to to make me believe that this actually happened in the United States, and like you know, this just the setting and, and the names and 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 everything about that. Just I was taken out immediately. I mean, there's a lot of exorcisms that take place in America, right? Yeah, yeah, but just based on the true story alone. When you say dirtier, like what what about other exorcism films do it better though? 
Um, like, like what makes it more believable? Is it just location? No, not location. I guess. Um, I guess I just didn't really see. Because they in other films, they do a good job at showing that someone is possessed, like they'll make their skin whiter or they'll um, uh, put bruises on their face and, and make them more scratched up and stuff like that. But a lot of, a lot more makeup is applied. Um, I feel like this it, it didn't do a lot. Well, do you they think were just like, oh, she's possessed. Do you think that, that might have been on part of the direction of this so that we're still kind of supposed to be I left? Think so. In, in, you know, a cloud of ambiguity with all of it. Yeah. I so you wanted uh, the head turning 360 degrees and spitting pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, Brendan. Okay, so as far as yeah. the structure of the movie goes, what's your perspective of the courtroom case? Um, like, f- following it as a courtroom drama case rather than following the events in real time of the exorcism? I think I think what actually might have been more interesting is if there was more uh, uh, photograph evidence and audio recordings. And I think it, I don't know if it would have worked necessarily, but I think it would have been interesting if we didn't leave the courtroom. Mm, I agree. I agree with that, too. Actually, that's a better idea. Right, let's make it. Um, I'm sorry. I, I don't think. What was your question? I don't think I answered it. I, I had that in the back of my head. Um, so the so so what do you think of the structure of the movie? The perspective of how it follows the courtroom case rather than the like the real time events of the exorcism, uh, which you kind of answered partially, but yeah, I I do wish that there, I either wish that there was less of the exorcism or more of it. Um, I do kind of agree with Ian that it, uh, on in regards to, it in regards to the exorcism scenes, I either wish that they would have gone harder or just not have done it at all and if you're gonna show us an exorcism scene don't just give us five minutes of it give us a good like 10 15 minutes really immerse us really make us uncomfortable um and yeah i think that they could have gone a lot darker for the exorcism scenes like the later pictures of annalise in life are fucked up haunting like her eyes are like puffy from yeah like it looks like she's been trapped in a room for years well yeah you're comparing you're comparing 98 exorcisms versus one exorcism so yeah (laughs) that's why i don't like this movie that's fair that's the problems i have with it as well so um okay do you guys want to get into final thoughts or do you guys have anything else you want to talk about i do have a bunch of a, a couple of notes that i'd like to go over but can we take an ad break so i can get off my knees they're starting to hurt not gonna lie i gotta get my chair out of my closet and it's like behind the door so i gotta lift it up over my head open the door even more move the chair then close the door so we're gonna take the official red room thick piss break we will be back soon Hey kids, it's Don Shanahan from the Cinephile Hissy Fit, one of the podcasts on the Ruminations Radio Network. If you've been enjoying this show, come listen to Will Johnson and I fight it out over cinema's best and worst on Cinephile Hissy Fit. Find us and all the great shows over on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Dude, I'm one more hit in the head from becoming a vegetable. (laughs) 
And we're back. You're already there. Um, so you said you had some. <laughs> <laughs> you said you had some notes, Ian. Talk mm. to me. Talk to me. Man, I just took a big gulp. Oh, don't ever do that again. <laughs> um, funny thing to note when the I don't remember the names of the uh, the lawyers. There's a lot of people involved, but the main bald lawyer dude when he goes up to the protagonist, the main protagonist lawyer girl, um. He's Wait, like, yeah, main the bald lawyer. Picking... I yeah. like how in our podcast, people get so specific in other casts, and we're like, yeah, you know, it's one of the people. I don't know. There were so many actors in it. I don't even know. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean you mean the guy, the guy who runs uh, the firm that she works for? Yes, that. Guy. Okay, okay. Sorry, I was confused. When he's going up to her to congratulate her for her other case, and he's like, oh, they picked you. The council picked you to do this case, and she's like, why? And then he was like, well, the counselor, the, the council thinks you're smart and convincing. And, you know, these are qualities that I look for in my lawyers when I go um, lawyer hunting. You know, someone that's really smart and convincing, because I feel like if they don't have those qualities, why get them as a lawyer? You know, um, why be a lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yikers. Um, here's another quote. Um, when, the, when the, uh, lawyer chick, the, the main protagonist, she talks Aaron. to the boyfriend, Aaron, yes, with an E, yes. shout out. um, when she's talking to the boyfriend, his name's like, Tim, right? What? Sure. Tim. That's a callback. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, never... <laughs> Uh, I never knew how dead I was until I met her. Kyle hit me with it. Okay, you with what? Sounds like my ex-wife. Oh, no, that's not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> what? I never enough. knew how dead I was until I met her? Come on. Oh, I guess, yeah, okay, okay. Come on. All right, I failed that one. Yeah. Uh, the university food cafeteria looked oh, absolutely yes. busted. Yes, I thought the same thing. That was insane. Best food I've ever seen in a cafeteria yeah, in my why, life. Why did all the classes in the school, why did, why was there no lights in the entire school? Like every class. <laughs> because she's possessed. <laughs> and the cafeteria was so dark. Sorry, I continue. <laughs> and what would you guys do if you were her boyfriend? And I'd fuck her while she was possessed. Ah, damn it. You beat me to it. <laughs> Next question. I was, I was <laughs> with the first time. <laughs> I feel like that's a better question, though. Um, <laughs> what would you do if you woke up and remember when the, when the and when they're doing the flashbacks and she's like on the floor, like in that weird position? Like, <laughs> what would you do if you woke up and your girlfriend was like that? Um, I'd try to fuck her. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would immediately call the call nine one one. Um, although you know, one of my notes is Jason is a down bitch. Like he just gets—I mean, I'm sorry, Tim is a down bitch. Tim, uh, he just gets thrown into this scenario with a random girl that he started dating for a couple months, 
and uh, she gets him to like start learning about religion and all this stuff. And then at the end of the movie, he's just right next to her for the exorcism. Like you've known this girl for three months. I think it's safe to say you could just walk away at this point. Um, but no, well, he's this is a guy that this is a guy that clearly signed up for college just to lose his virginity. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. <clears throat> I don't know what if what I would do if I was in that that scenario, but I think that uh, Jason deserves boyfriend of the year. Ooh, boyfriend of the year! February. This is this episode going to come out on Valentine's Day? It is actually okay. So he wait. No, okay, I, so I, we got him. I sorry. I go thought, ahead. Uh, the the it's close enough. The faculty. It's right? it's, it's Valentine's Day month. You know, he gets it. Yeah. So right now he has boyfriend. He he has the gold medal for boyfriend of the year. We'll keep it. We'll keep track. We'll keep our eyes yeah. on it. And if we see anything else where another boyfriend overtakes this, we'll we'll make sure to document it. I agree. Any other notes for us, Ian? Uh, no, not really. Um, but for that um uh, scene with when she's like all in, like in that weird position, she's like. Wah! Um, I said, who sleeps like that? <laughs> oh, yeah, me. <laughs> and then that's where I ended my notes. <laughs> and on that note, we will get into the final ratings and final thoughts of The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Brennan, final thoughts and rating. Shoot. Uh, yeah, so the just the last couple things I wanted to bring up. Uh, at one point when uh, Father Moore is leaving the house, Emily starts to play the piano. And she's only playing tritones, which from all the movies like this that I've seen, uh, tritones are supposedly demonic forces mocking the Holy Trinity. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting little tidbit. Um, and also, I did want to I wanted to mention Aaron's character arc, I think, is pretty solid through this because she defends that shitbag and. Um, you know, she's doing, and he was obviously an evil person. You're talking about the priest? No, the no, she the the, the killer that 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 she got off. Oh yeah. Um, and so right, you know, the killer strikes again, and she starts to you know feel these demonic presences, and then she doesn't necessarily become religious, but she becomes a lot more open to it. So I just think that her character arc is um is pretty pretty solid in in very very interesting um but that being said the the movie has some pacing issues again i would have liked it more maybe if it was just a courtroom drama and the only insight that we get to the exorcism is through uh evidential photos and recordings and stuff um but overall interesting movie interesting concept Devil's Advocate does it better. Conjuring 3 does it worse. Um, I'd probably say uh, 65%. 65%. Ian, final thoughts of The Exorcism of Emily Rose and rating. So I'm going to have to agree with Brendan um, that the courtroom scenes, because I'm not, I'm not a big courtroom drama guy, um, but I do think they were uh, pretty interesting in this film. Um, I would have rather them be a little more separate or uh, since it was since this movie was two hours long, uh, I would have liked to seen, like to have seen more possession time. 
Um, it did miss the mark for the um, story, in my opinion. I did not like the uh, adaptation that it was. Um, it was not a, a bad made film at all. The acting was decent. It had some good uh, cinematography. Um, the it, it had it had plenty of money. The production was there, um, but it just missed the mark for me. And I don't think I'll have any nightmares from this. I'm gonna <laughs> give it a fifty-five. Fifty-five. And I mirror you both. So without sounding too much like a broken record, um, I thought the film was good. It was not a bad film by any stretch. There was some awesome shots. The cinematography was pretty good. Uh, I actually liked the blend of the courtroom and exorcism scenes. I didn't think there was too much of one or the other. I didn't want one more or want one over the other more. Um, I thought that was fine. Um, I do wish they played a little bit more true to the real life story. And I also agree with you. And I do not... um, prefer this adaptation it was a little too long for me though i think a lot of it could have gotten kind of cut out especially the lot of scenes going back to the bar and a lot of stuff that was kind of in between it overall though i thought this movie was pretty decent it was better than i thought it was gonna be i'm gonna give this a 62 percent so that being said, the official Red Room rating for The Exorcism of Emily Rose is, in fact, <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> Do you know oh, Jesus. Oh, no. What is happening? It is 60%, which is a D minus. A demon minus. Oh, well. <laughs> Well, how do you guys feel about that rating? I'm fine. I'm fine with the 60. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't too far off from what you had, Ian. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to end this episode like we do every episode with the now infamous game. Is it fresh? Is it right? I don't know. Should I go back in the closet? That's what she said. (laughs) Um, So... That's what this said. is the game where I read the description of a film. <clears throat> Ian and Brendan have to guess whether or not the film is fresh or frozen based on the description. If they get that correctly, they move on to a second question where they guess the percentage. If they get within seven points of the percentage, they get another point, if that makes sense. It should, because if you're listening by now, you're well aware of the game. So, gentlemen. So far, we have Ian at two, Brennan at seven. It's a close race. The competition now is getting kind of stale. (laughs) So are you guys ready? I'm ready. Sure. Ian, are you ready? Sure. Number one. Siblings Mimi and Luke unwittingly resurrect an ancient alien overlord who was entombed on Earth millions of years ago after a failed attempt to destroy the universe. They nicknamed the evil creature and used the magical amulet they discovered to force him to obey their childish whims. It isn't long before the monster's reappearance draws the attention of intergalactic friends and foes from across the cosmos, and a rogue's a rogues gallery of alien combatants converges in a small town suburbia to battle for the fate of the galaxy. Is it fresh or is it rotten? I think I know what this is. Yeah, I, th- I um, think I do too. Um, I'm going to go fresh. Yeah, I'm going to follow suit there. 
great. <laughs> it is, in fact, fresh. Guess the percentage. I'm going to go uh, 70. Oh, fuck you. That's what I was going to pick. I don't care. I'm going 70 as well. <laughs> you both are correct. It correct. is, in fact, 63%. So you got it on the Ooh, seventh what? number. I'm it is, in fact... Genre horror comedy. It is PG slash Psycho Goreman yeah. 2020 with 250 Kyle, you plus three, right? I did. Did you like it? I did. I enjoyed it. Nice. It's a good movie. And I think it's streaming on Shudder? Yeah. yeah okay. So. It was on one of the last uh, Joe Bob Briggs uh, things. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's a fun horror comedy. And if you like the blending of those two genres, I think you should check it out. And if you're a fan of, like, old 90s cartoons or shows, it's heavily inspired. Number two. I almost said the title of the movie. <laughs> Number two. After the discovery of a mysterious VHS tape, a brutish police SWAT team launch a high-intensity raid on a remote warehouse, only to discover a sinister cult compound whose collection of pre-recorded material uncovers a nightmarish conspiracy. Is it fresh or is it rot? Well, this is VHS 94, right? Genre horror. <laughs> I think it's VHS 94. I'm going to say it's rotten. I'm not going to disagree with uh, Brandon here. Hey, I love the movie, but I feel like it was critically panned. If he so, says I mean, rotten, I, he loves that movie. <laughs> then I'm going to go rotten. Is that your final answer? Yeah. It is, in fact, rotten. Guess the percentage. Uh, I, I hurt saying this, but I feel like it's in the 20s. I'm going to say 20. I don't think it's that low. I'm going to go like. 45. Ian takes the lead. Woo! I'm ruined. It is, in fact, 47% with 100 Ooh. plus ratings. The 2021 film VHS 94. Good movie. Great year. No, it wasn't. <laughs> you guys ready for number three? Yeah. Number three. Shortly after delivering a patient to an understaffed hospital, a police officer experiences strange and violent occurrences seemingly linked to a group of mysterious, cloaked, cult-like figures in the hospital that is a gateway to evil. Is it fresh or is it rotten? Can you repeat the first half or the first like sentence? Shortly after delivering a patient to an <clears throat> understaffed hospital, a police officer experiences strange and violent occurrences seemingly linked to a group of mysterious cloaked cult-like okay. figures in the hospital is. that is a gateway to evil. I'm going to go fresh. I know what this is. I'm pretty sure I know what it is, too. Um, but I'm going to say rotten. It is, in fact, rotten. Thank you. Uh, tied up for four. Guess the percentage. Uh, Genre four. 40, 45? 45. 45. Yeah. It's the Brennan gets the second point. 
It is, in fact, 47% with 5K ratings. The 2016 film The Void. And that was made by the people who made uh, PG. You don't say. You guys ready for number four? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The Leprechaun returns once again. When a group of girls unwillingly awaken him after they tear down a cabin so that they can build a new sorority house. Genre horror comedy. Rotten. Definitely rotten. Is that your final answer? 100%. It is, in fact, fresh. Are you kidding me? So you guys both do not get the point. You said the name of the title, though, right? The 2018 film Leprechaun Returns at 61% with 100 plus ratings. Are you kidding me? I can't can't believe a WWE (laughs) Studios movie is fresh. Yeah. I gotta watch that movie. Final question. Are you both ready? See, he's in the it's so funny that you say that uh oh just kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding um 26 filmmakers from around the globe help stories that detail 26 ways to meet your maker each one corresponding to a different letter of the alphabet while showcasing death and all its vicious wonder and brutal beauty is it fresh or is it rotten? fresh it's 100 percent rotten it is, in fact, rotten. Ooh. That ties it up. Five, five. Guess the percentage. I'm going to guess like... This is your chance to take I can, it. I'm going to beat he doesn't you, Brennan. Get the guess. He I'm going to beat get the you, guess. Brennan. <laughs> you know, like... Genre. How, wait, how many stories are there? 26. <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> is that your final answer? My final answer. Give it to me. It is incorrect. It is 39% with 1,000 plus ratings. It is the 2014 film ABCs of Death 2. Dang. Oh, it was a second one. I mean, I guess it didn't really matter. And the ongoing theme of this is these were all directed by the same person, Stephen Kostansky. In VHS 94, he directed the segment The Veggie, the Veggie Masher. <laughs> and in ABCs of Death 2, he directed the segment W is for Wish. He also directed Leprechaun Returns, The Void, and Psycho Gorman. What was The Veggie Masher? <laughs> veggie, the- ma- veggie Masher was the like 45-second commercial that played at the end of the the Ratma segment. I don't remember that. It, it's literally only like forty five seconds long. Oh, I do like that that Ratma thing. That was sick. Hail Ratma. Okay. Well, this is a tie. Tie break 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 break. This is the tiebreaker for fresh or rotten. Gentlemen, are you ready? Yes. Yeah. When their youngest daughter, M, becomes strangely obsessed with an antique wooden box bought from a yard sale, parents Clyde and Stephanie see little cause for alarm. However, M becomes increasingly unstable, leading the couple to fear the presence of a a malevolent force. To their horror, 
Clyde and Stephanie learn that the box contains a demon, a dis, a dislocated spirit that inhabits and ultimately devours a human host. So this is, is actually fresh, or is it one of my favorite possession movies. Um, I'm gonna say it's, oh man, it's like on the cusp. It's rotten, fresh. Bren, rotten. It is, in fact, rotten. Damn. It's possessed, right? It it's is possession. Possession. The 2012 yeah, yeah. movie, The Possession. The yeah. Sam Raimi so, movie. Yeah. So, Brian, Sam does take the lead once again. It is I, two eight. I think he just produced it, right? Yeah, I think he produced it. Uh, directed by old. Purdy. That movie scared me. Yeah, he he produced it. Yeah, that locust okay. scene fucks with me. This has been another episode of Ruminations of Red Rum, the, the possessed spider-eaten podcast of the Ruminations <laughs> Radio Network. If you like what we're doing here, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Ruminations of Red Rum and on Twitter at of Red Rum. That's OF Red Rum. And please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and make sure you hit us up with a review and give us a rating. That being said, I'm your host, Kyle, with a K. And joining me, we have Ian with two E's. Did you already plug our Twitter? No. Well, yeah. Do yeah. that. Do that. Yeah. We, I, I, I want to hear your guys' comments. Like, people I, who listen, I want to hear, I hear what, you, what you're saying. We want to hear that. Thank you. And Brendan, <laughs> the new blood. Uh, I love you, Mom. Stay spooky, folks. I felt that one.